wish I could hate you for the rest of my Welcome to the Tone That Made Us podcast. I'm James Taptinos, my co-host and friend of 30 years, Dan Cav, needed an outlet to talk about gear and more so needed to do it in a way that we stop annoying the shit out of our wives doing it while we're out to dinner and hanging out and stuff. And um, they usually get annoyed because we endlessly obsess at exactly what year a specific Les Paul Deluxe is based on the serial number and uh it usually ends up in uh in a heated conversation so uh so we decided to do this podcast and it's also an amazing way to connect with old friends uh and today is uh no exception so today's guest is a great friend of the podcast uh both dan and i i've had the pleasure of hitting the road with him we've toured we've sweated on the warp tour together um, hailing from the great state of New Jersey, this guy emerged in the early 80s, I'm sorry, early 2000 pop punk and indie rock scene in New Jersey. Um, he's been the guitar ripper and scene mainstay for bands like Midtown, as well as a nice little stint with the one and only Senses Fail. My brother, Heath Saraceno. What's up, James? Hey, Dan. How's it going, guys? Good, good. Thanks for being on. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. So, um, yeah, I was kind of bummed because I I thought the first time I was actually going to be able to see and talk to you was going to be like October when you guys come up and play the Worcester Palladium uh, on your your little reunion stint, which I'm really psyched to be able to see. Uh, I think my brother might actually drive all the way out from Pennsylvania to go to that show. So that'll be awesome. All of us to be together again. Um, But the podcast is a great uh, interim view of your face. So anyway, um, let's start off this podcast like we start them all off. And we've heard tons of stories about, you know, the first time I saw this particular guitarist play or this particular band play, it made me want to be a musician, yada, yada, yada. But the podcast is about gear. What was the first piece of musical equipment that inspired you to say, I want to do that? Uh, So growing up, one of my favorite movies was Eddie and the Cruisers. And I remember watching that movie with like a tennis racket or a broom handle in my hand and just like pretending to play along to all the songs in that movie. There's some really great songs oh, yeah. on that soundtrack. For sure. Uh, that was probably the on first the dark time that I one. Dude, On the Dark Side is such a killer song. And the songs at the end of the movie too, like the oh, ones yeah. that, that the record company shelved yep. are maybe even better. Um, but incredible songs but i mean like, like most kids it it was probably kiss you know that really made me want to like pick up a like a guitar and like play loud and play distorted music um Absolutely. my cousin brian had like an ibanez destroyer that was it faded from light blue to dark blue and it had yellow 
zebra stripes going across it. That's right. And a Kaler tremolo. It was the most 80s guitar ever. And I I loved that thing. I, it weighed a ton. And every time I go over to his house, I pick it up and just like start bashing on the whammy bar and breaking all the strings. And I always want, I, I really wanted to learn how to play that guitar because it was so cool looking. He still has it, by the way. He still has that guitar. Oh, that's awesome. Much to my guitar. dismay, he refinished it. He got rid of the cool 80s paint job. So, you know, but it still, it still sounds great for sure, Brian. That's awesome. So that kind of puts you in, well, Eddie and, Eddie and the Cruisers, I think, puts you in this new level of guest. That's that's definitely an original answer. Now, the, the Kiss one then puts you in a pocket of so many of us. Uh, some mm-hmm. some episodes that haven't aired yet at this point, but you're you're gonna hear a ton more about Kiss going forward. But that seems to be the I mean, just Kiss and seeing, you know, a Destroyer or an Iceman or a Les Paul or an Axe Base, you know, certainly. Uh, so, but now when we say Kiss, are we talking like shouted out loud Kiss? Or are we talking like, and I know you all too well, God gave rock and roll to you, Kiss. Mm. we're actually talking about crazy nights kiss Ooh. we're talking about the crate was it was it crazy nights or crazy 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 nights whichever <laughs> one it was that was the kiss for me no makeup shredding was bruce kulik in the band then i mean probably yeah uh yeah. but that's that's the that's the version of kiss that i started with and then you know you go back and you realize that the first three records are really the best things that they ever did um and there was no one like ace freely but um yeah i was like mid 80s kiss was, was when i got started with them very cool. wow all right so what was at that point so you're like you see your cousin's destroyer and you're like i need this guitar yeah. what is mr saracino what, what's the conversation with dad like so when at that you get point, your own first guitar so i i started petitioning for a guitar probably sometime around my ninth or 10th birthday. Um, and my dad had an acoustic at the house that he, all he learned how to play on it was and that's it. So like he would pick up the guitar. That's all he would play and put it away for four years. And yeah, just, just that one lick. Um, and he was like, if you can learn how to play this, I'll get you a guitar. I never learned how to play it. So I started petitioning my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, for a guitar. Um, and did I cut out of here? Nope. Me. Okay. It just connected to my phone for some reason. Um, so I started petitioning my, my grandmother for a guitar. And I said, you see the guitar that guy's playing? It was Bruce Springsteen. I was like, I, was like, I, I want that guitar, that Telecaster. And she was like, how about we give you this, this court Stratocaster? I was like, all right. So I got that when I was around 12. Couldn't really learn how to play it. Um, and then, you know, one day I was home for, sick from school and I started messing around with the guitar and started trying to pick things up by ear. Uh, and I played that court for a little while until my birthday in eighth grade when I got a Fender Stratocaster. Nice. Um, and that was my first real, real guitar. Very cool. I, I I tend I see Dan nodded as well. I remember that one, you know, catching the flu, being homesick, and getting. I had a fake book that somebody gave me. I think I sat for the entire time I was homesick, like just learning random, you know, guitar licks. 
I think every, yeah. every guitar player at some point is, has hit that. So you got your first Strat. What were you playing it through? Um, I think I was playing it through probably a Crate GT80 combo amp, um, which was tube right. or solid state. Sounded <laughs> horrible no matter you know what you did um, until you plug a metal zone into it. And then it sounds like Dimebag Daryl, or I, th- I thought it did. I mean, it probably doesn't really sound that good, but sounded great to my 13-year-old ears. Absolutely. It's amazing. So now you have your Strat and you have your crate. Were you playing? Did you start anything with a band yet? Had you started fooling around in the garage? Uh, yeah, I'd started a band with my my best friend, who's actually my brother-in-law now. Um, he had a bass laying around. He gave me the bass. He said, learn how to play this. I said, okay came over to his house a couple weeks later we started messing around with some songs realized that the guy who was playing guitar probably should be playing bass and i should be playing guitar so we we switched and then uh brian and i played in bands for like the next three years where our band was first called penitentiary and then we were carpe diem well they were virtual reality for a little while and then we were forlorn hope um and the goal names great names really great names um yeah we wanted to sound like dream theater so we would i mean we we couldn't play quite as nowhere near as well as they could but we thought that we would be able to get there one day we thought that it started with writing 15 minute long songs so that's what we did we had a couple songs that were incredibly long none of the parts repeated um and i i guess that's what you you did in prog rock and prog metal at the time so that was our playbook um and uh you know we we were a band for like three three years around then awesome so as you uh as as you progress through that band did you did you change gear out at all did you uh add anything did you graduate from the uh from the crate no i never graduated (laughs) from the crate and the and the metal zone at that time those remain stays um i added a chorus pedal i added a boss compression sustainer which um i could i don't think now even i could figure out how to make that work um (laughs) but around that time i also got another guitar um when i graduated from eighth grade the music store in my town gorney's was doing like they were having like a 25th anniversary giveaway thing so anytime you bought anything you put your name in a fishbowl and every week they would pull a winner out. Um, and I happened to win the grand prize, which was a 93 Les Paul Studio Light. I remember That's that. A, it's a great grand prize. Yeah, no kidding. It's, it's incredible. that that guitar, Getting that guitar changed my life. Um, because I kind of stopped playing guitar a little bit. And I was like, oh, maybe this is just like a fun hobby. I hit a wall with like my skills like i couldn't really get any better i was like why can't i play like marty friedman this is never gonna happen (laughs) um but then i got that guitar and i was like okay well this might be like a sign to kind of keep going um and that guitar became my main guitar for the next i don't know 10 years yeah you played that guitar great main guitar yeah no kidding you played that guitar into, into midtown for a while well yeah well into midtown i think i played that guitar as my main guitar until 2002 so i still have it i got it i've broken the neck on it twice uh, actually i broke the neck on it once 
and my son broke the neck on it another time. Um, yeah, he was like two and a half years old and he was just in love with the guitars and he would pick it up off the stand. I walked in from the garage one day and I saw him holding it. I was like, Oh man, you shouldn't, you shouldn't play with this one. I was like, here, take this ukulele. And I take it from him and I'm going to put it back. And I look at the back of the neck and I was like, Oh man. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll get that fixed. No big deal. It's been through worse. Uh, at least it was already broken. Neck breaks. It's you're great. lucky your blood kid. Yeah. You're lucky. I like you. So. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the same. I have a, uh, I have a Les Paul standard with a broken headstock and it played better than every other Les Paul I owned. That's and it played one. better. It played better with a broken headstock than any Les Paul I played. I've that. heard that that does something and it, it actually helps. I don't know if it helps. It's stronger. Just the way it plays. It, it yeah. reinforces after you glue that up. Apparently it's just, it's a, it's a much stronger joint after it's all glued together uh, than it is because of just the faults that everyone's always talked about with uh, Gibson's headstock design and the pitch angle and the blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's a that, was the, that was the Josh Luke. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was Josh Luke's custom. Les Paul standard. It's a black Oh, that standard. was the standard. Yeah. 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 I didn't buy the custom. It's a, much to my chagrin. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> that's a story for another time. So, um, all right. So, that band with your future brother in law for three years, when did you start? really getting serious so this is creeping up on high school at this point right yeah in high school i played in in a couple bands down in somerville um you know my friends and i would get together and we'd do like deftones covers and no effects covers and stuff and we ended up writing some songs and that band played one or two shows uh and then and then i joined nowhere fast with uh tyler and ryan and matt hake Oh yeah. Um, so that was that was right out of high school. I joined, Shout out to Frenchie. I might still been in high school. Matt Frenchie oh. Hake. Oh, Matt's Matt's nickname is Frenchie. Well, because he's French Canadian, so I think because oh, there I were two yeah. Matts and Nora, they called him Frenchie, and it just <laughs> it just stuck. That's wild. I love that. I love Matt. Yeah, I enjoyed. He's great. Him. I spoke to Ryan the other day too, just out of the blue. He gave me a call. Nice. Dude, that was a great time. It was a great scene. We had a lot of talented bands, a lot of great musicians, a lot of cool people. Um, New Brunswick between 96 and 2005 was a pretty cool place. Maybe 2000, maybe 95 to 2005 was a pretty awesome place. I know Dan's going to going to hearken me back a couple of years before that, but I didn't get down there at that point. I didn't get down there until like 98. So ah, I you missed it. It was dead by then. You yeah. kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, by the way, Jay Robbins is telling me the story last night where he's like, by the time I got into the DC scene in like 84, it was like the scene's dead. Everybody's you're, you're two years too late. The scene's dead. You missed it, kid. And like really DC in 84. So anyway, all right, so we talk about that stuff all the time. So if you had that Paul definitely through through the beginnings and even middles of, of Midtown, um, when did you start to feel the crate was insufficient? Yeah, so the crate, I think I left it at my friend Dave's house sometime around junior year. 
and I don't remember ever going back for it uh, or thinking about it. Was it kind of a waste of gas. It was, yeah, it was, it was horrible. I mean, it was loud, but it sounded terrible. Um, and around that time, I think, I think around like right before Nowhere Fast, I got a, I want to say it's like called like a Fender Rock Pro mm-hmm. head and cabinet. Sounded much better than the crate, um, but that didn't last too long. And then when we started Midtown, I didn't have an amp at all. I would just borrow amps from people at shows. Um, I would know, you know, who we were playing with and who had a pretty good sounding amp. Like, oh, we're playing with LWL. Steve has a dual rectifier. He'll let me use that. You know, um, I didn't get an amp really until until probably four months into Midtown. And uh, I got, I ended up buying a Mesa Boogie Mark III from my friend Harry. Um, and I bought that from Harry and I used that for the very beginning of the band for quite a while until, until we wrecked our van. And then it was, then it stopped working. Um, years later, I would get, do I would send it to Mesa and they would fix it and send it back to me. It sounded great. But by then I moved on to a different amp. Um, Very good. When did you guys wreck the van? That was uh, November 15th of um, was that 2000. I think it was 2000. Yeah, we were driving up from, we were on tour with Real Big Fish and Catch 22. <clears throat> we had stayed at home. And in, in between shows and the next show was in Connecticut. No, next show was in Boston. We we're driving up from, from New Jersey to Boston in the middle of the day. And it was like two o'clock in the afternoon on 95, a deer came across the road and we swerved to avoid the deer. And like, I don't know if the term, it wouldn't be broke, but we braked at the same time as we were swerving and the trailer came back around mm. hit the van and flipped us. Jackknife. Um, and our, yeah, our merch girl flew out the van. She sustained terrible, terrible injuries. She was in the in the hospital for months. Um, you know, we lost some shirts and gear in the woods, but you know, the the worst part was what happened to Stacy. Um, wow, wow, that's yeah, terrible. She had a long long road ahead of her, but she's doing great now. Um, but she, you know, she got really hurt in the accident. Wow. So, um, good. Glad Stacy is well. I kind of remember this. I think this was just before we all kind of came in each other's lives. I think it was around 2000, 2001 that I really I started hanging with you guys. Um, I think so. We did a benefit show at, uh, at the Wayne Firehouse. That was, that was pretty big. For yeah, her. I think. And I remember. Was that the one that was Hot Rod Circuit? Um newfound glory maybe I'm not sure if newfound played but saves the day played acoustically oh yes 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 um the movie life i think played yep we, we got like a ton of donations from people signed merch that we would we sold and you know gave all the money to stacy so actually i gotta tell you it was good. I everyone think, chipped in i think that might have been the first show i saw you guys I think you guys were in the store and we were like hanging and i i'm almost positive that was the first show that uh that i saw you guys probably because we had to replace a bunch of gear yeah that's probably how we you know uh, how we bumped into each other like the mesa yeah yeah we did we had to replace the mesa all right so what at that point we're at um save the world lose the girl mm-hmm. 
Right. Records out at that point. Records out. Um, touring on the record all the time. Um, I feel like we were on tour like 10 months of the year back then. You, you were. Yeah, we, I think I think we were. Yeah. Legitimately. And it, it, was, it was the same spots with the same couple bands that you guys toured with. I mean, that, that River was City High, yeah. Hot Rod Circuit, Newfound Glory, Dashboard. It was like a revolving tour with at least one of those bands on it every time at least one if not two yeah yeah that, sometimes all sometimes all, all. <laughs> I, I was many nights at the tla many nights at maxwell's um so at that point i'm trying to think back i'm thinking you're playing dual rectifiers at this point well that's what did you replace that uh mesa with yeah, that's when we went to dual rectifiers. Before then, I was playing the Mark III, and Tyler was playing a JCM 900, 900 with a power yeah. brake. Yeah. Um, the power brake really helped that thing out. Um, and then, yeah, then we both went to dual rectifiers, uh, which we used pretty much until the end of the band. Yeah. We had two sets of them because the first set was left... Um, we were playing, we were on a tour with Reggie in the full effect and we were loading out and someone who shall remain nameless um, left them outside on the loading dock while you went in to get guitars and came back out and they were gone. Oh, shit. So then we had to we had to get another set of dual rectifiers. But Stuart still feels bad about that to this day. So oh, poor Carmack. <laughs> Stu, Stu, I was hoping the shout out that you'd get on this podcast was going to be under better circumstances. <laughs> he might dispute facts of that, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was Stu. But it's okay. Shout out to Stu, man. Love that guy. He's the okay. best. So I do remember a rotating, let's talk about the love of the instrument. We were, we were very blessed, all of us. We all benefited from it. I, I was, I don't know if I was blessed, but I was blessed to get on a good career path starting as a storm manager at Guitar Center. And we've and, been using you ever since. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that store had some killer gear. And we always, I mean, it was at a time where great guitars, great vintage guitars, cabinets. I mean, I remember mm -hmm. a park head coming through there and me and Pete Horvath looking at it and we're like, you know, one of us has to buy this thing. And uh, I think he, I want to say he did, but um, there's stuff that I'll never see again that came through that store. And mm -hmm. I remember my wall, my layaway wall in the back was full of all of you guys saying, I want that guitar, put it on layaway for me, and I'm going to figure out a way to get to like pay for it. I think Dan got two of those gem series Les Paul studios that way. Yeah, those are the ones I play with Nine Lives. Those studio, yeah, those studios. You had a sapphire one, and they're both sapphire with the cream sapphire. pickups, yeah. Cream plastics. So let's talk about the revolving. You went through some some Les Pauls. You went through some, I want to say Telly as well. So like between me and Tyler, we went through probably seven different guitars from your guitar center. <laughs> I think he started with uh he started with that silver burst something or it wasn't a custom, it wasn't a standard. It was a mix of the two. I remember this guitar yeah. because Phil from Aerotype 11, I 
I was I had it on layaway for him at one point. It had dot inlays in it, which was had very dot, strange. Had dot inlays. It had a bound top, but not a bound back. Yes. Yeah, it was like a standard that way. Yeah. Um, Tyler had, got that. He used right. it for a tour. It didn't bond with it. Brought it back. Traded it for a blonde, like 1980 Les Paul standard. Because right? Jimmy World had one. And you guys okay. played it while you were on tour with them. And you were like, I need one of these. Yes. That I remember. Wait, no, that's not how it started. It started by Tyler trading his Gretsch to Max from No Motive for a 91 Les Paul standard, which he traded in. And that's how he got the silver burst. And then I bought that 91 Les Paul standard from you after Tyler sold it to you. That's right. I still have that. That's my number one. My number one guitar is that 91 Les Paul standard. That nat- really? The natural? No, it's wine red. Oh, the wine red. Yes. Yeah. And it, like the paint is gone on it. Like if you look at the back of the neck, it's just mahogany. There's chips everywhere. There's like a huge gash taken out of the back from a belt buckle. Never broke the headstock on it. I don't know how. Don't but, say it um, out loud. Knock wood. Well, I'm not, I can't do anything with it anymore. I'm not going to take it on tour or anything. It has one mismatched tuning peg. I don't know what happened to the original one. Um, Jay Parker but that's the best out, one. I'm sure at some point. You know, someone told me, someone left me a really funny comment recently on like Instagram or something. Um, they mentioned, and I, I totally don't take credit for this, that I was a nice guy. And he knew I was a nice guy because he was missing a tuning peg on his guitar at a show. It broke and I gave him one. I guess I had an extra tuning pick, but now I'm thinking about it. I think I gave him the one that was supposed to be on this guitar. And now I have a mismatched tuning peg, but um, I didn't remember that at all. Uh, anyway, that after does sound like had the 1980, I would, I mean, yeah, sure. I would I'd give someone a, tun- a tuning peg. I'd give someone a set of strings, I'd give someone a pickup if I had it, I'd help people out. People have helped me out. Like uh, there was this guy in Connecticut whose kids were in a band his kids were like 14 15 years old we would always put them on shows with us in connecticut and the dad was like a former like hard rocker from like the late 80s like he played in bands in the 80s and was just happy seeing his son doing the same thing and he saw me playing an explorer and gave me a pickup just really nice like out of nowhere so yeah there's there's still some kindness in the world i, I try to repay that as well sometimes yeah, um, absolutely so let's talk about the Explorer. I'm not sure I remember the Explorer. Yeah. So the Explorer was an Epiphone. It's an Epiphone. We we at some point got hooked up by Epiphone. They wanted to give us guitars. I didn't I didn't really like the Epiphone Les Pauls, even though like I played Les Pauls and that was the, my body of choice. I was like, this is probably my chance that I could get an Explorer, you know. And and I got it. And I swapped pickups out of it, sanded the neck down, and, and it played and sounded really good. Um, nice. But I ended up smashing it at Skate and Surf. Um, do you remember when we played Skate and Surf two days in a row? And this, on Sunday, we played as like a cover band. The passes up on that wall. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought it would be a good idea to smash that guitar and throw it into the crowd. So I, I broke it, and I'm great. You know, goal achieved. And I have the body. I'm like, oh, kids would probably like this so i pick it up throw it in the crowd and as i really said i think 
man, that thing's really heavy. <laughs> I probably, I probably shouldn't have done that. And I watch it fly. And I'm just like, I really hope they move out of the way. I hope no one gets hit with this thing. And luckily everyone moved out of the way, but that, that was one of the, one of the dumber things I've thrown into the crowd at shows. Probably the dumbest. <laughs> um, but then years later, they gave me another one. Uh, and I played that one in Stences Fail for a while, and I didn't smash it. I gave it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Did you really? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I gave it to someone. That we were on Taste of Chaos, and they wanted, um, I think, was it the Hard Rock? Hard Rock Cafe. That's who it was. Oh, okay. They wanted, like, Still. gear and stage clothes from all the bands on the tour, and I gave them that less, that uh, that Explorer. Stage nice. clothes, meaning the black <laughs> T-shirt that you wore every night and dried off in the back of the van. It, it was blue, and it was very, <laughs> very thick. Uh, and a pair of shoes. I gave him a pair of Asics and a pair, pair of pants. I don't know why they would have wanted that. They probably threw them immediately in the trash, but <laughs> as I would have as well. Um, but that, that's there's an explorer of mine somewhere in a warehouse right next to the Ark of the Covenant. Nice. So you were saying that, uh, that, that 91 standard is your, uh, that's your number one. Now, was that your number one through the, through the end of Midtown? How long did that, how long did you ride that guitar out and into senses fail or? Yes. All, all the way through Midtown into senses fail. It took, it took some, uh, it took some timeouts. Um, I have notoriously corrosive sweat um, and I sweat a lot when I play. So I, I sweated through like three or four sets of pickups and pots and, you know, input jacks on that thing. So every couple of weeks it would present with a new problem, a new electrical issue. <laughs> so uh, it, for a while it was like not very reliable, but it always sounded the best. Um, and for a while, like, it, it always sat on my guitar boat. Sometimes it, I wouldn't use it. I was using Washburns for a while, mm. which, um, you know, I was using them live. I had a, a couple of those. They actually played really great. But um, we were on Warp Tour in 2009. Uh, I'm going to name drop right here because this guy's a musical hero of mine. Um, Brian Baker was like, I see that Les Paul, but you're playing these Washburns. What are you doing? And I told him, he's like, give it to my guitar tech. He'll go over it. He'll fix everything on it. It'll be great. So I gave it to him and I got it back two days later. And the thing never left my hands again. Yeah. Uh, to that's the dismay amazing. of my company, Washburn. But <laughs> it's okay. Um, well, look, the, when Brian were, Baker tells you guitars. to do something, you, you say how high. <laughs> if Brian Baker tells you, hey, I really like your T-shirt of the guy from The Office, that looks like the Descendants logo, you give them that shirt, you know? Is that a true story? It happens. That's a true story. (laughs) I love that guy. That's that's kind of a big want for us on this podcast. Eventually, we will get Brian Baker on. His collection is just insane. I may just have to stand in front of his house. Yeah, we're just going to have to drive down. I'm going to stand in front of his house 20 minutes away from here and wait. (laughs) <laughs> excuse me pardon me so um let's let's talk we talked a little bit about you used the word disaster um there was a lot of uh 
there were a lot of gear disasters throughout the years. Um, I remember one gear innovative thing that you did that I stole. The Heath's biggest problem was a 25 foot cord was never long enough for Heath, especially when you guys started to move to bigger stages. Um, oh. You 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 didn't stand still. Just I mean, just let's just say it out loud. Um, so Heath found, and I, I totally ripped this off and used it in the past. Uh, Heath found. An Ernie Ball quarter inch female to quarter inch female adapter and connected two 25 foot guitar cables and gaff taped it all so that it wouldn't come apart. And that was like that before you guys went wireless, that was your now I can get over to Tyler's side of the stage cable. Yep. You remember that? I, I, that sounds very familiar and definitely like something I would do. So I'm, I'm sure that that was me. Uh, you know, it, you're right. 25 feet is just not enough, especially when you have to weave through Gabe to get to Tyler. He's even more active than I am. And he's at the microphone half the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you always need a little bit of extra room there. If you could imagine the stage from stage left to stage right as a board on Super Mario Brothers, Gabe was like this. Remember the tiki stone guy that would go up and then like slam down and you had to time getting (laughs) past him just on time? That, That was Gabe, but he was moving from the front of the stage to the drum set. And it really, it was like a perfect timing thing. He sent Tyler to the hospital multiple times. Let's hear about this. Just like coming down with the bass right onto his head. Um, the most memorable was at uh, Stubbs in Austin. We we're playing a, you know, outdoor. a radio show outdoor, 2 30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the last song he comes down, Bob, I think he I think he took Tyler straight to the ground, blood everywhere. He had to get staples put in his skull. Uh, which was pretty awesome. So yeah, war wounds. Yeah. So you've had the play. I mean, God, you just brought up Brian. You've had the pleasure of touring with some pretty big bands. Um, is there any um what's like the coolest piece of gear you ever played that wasn't yours? Wow. Um, That's a really great question. One of the coolest pieces of gear I ever played was, was in the studio. Um, And it was when we were recording uh, living well, it's the best revenge. We rented a guitar. It was just, it was just a gold top last fall. I have no idea how old it was. I don't even remember. I wish I could tell you what amps we used on the record. I, I can't remember that either. But that guitar was the best playing guitar that I've ever played. Um, and it was just a rental and they wouldn't sell it because they know that people want to keep renting it out. Uh, but I used that for almost all the guitar on that record. Um, There's another bass that we rented for that record and the record before. It was like a some sort of like a pink jazz bass. Um, and it just was magical. Mm. Just it just felt great and it sounded great and you could plug three or four different bases into the same rig and nothing had the body of this base. Um, nice. So when we, we used it for the first record and tried to, tried to get it for the second, we found the same base, the same, same 
rental company. So uh, Trombino did the first record, right? Yeah, he did the first two records. He did, oh, he did Save the, the World and Living Well. I'm trying to remember yeah. when I came out, I was out there on business and I caught up with you guys that night. That was actually the night you guys uh, you guys broke out the, the re-orchestrated uh, version of... Uh, with the big break and the and the acapella buildup of uh, what song was that? It was differed very much from the demos that you guys did in Jersey before you went back out there. Anyway, I, I remember you guys had tons of gear that wasn't yours at that studio. So was that Mark's um, doing? was was hey yeah. we're going to get a whole bunch of stuff and we're going to try it all we had a bigger budget for the second record we rented all sorts of ridiculous shit that like we rented a farfisa organ <laughs> we wanted to use it for the beginning of a song i don't think anyone any of us knew what a farfisa was supposed to sound like and then when we plugged it in we were like what the fuck did we rent this for right there's um, five grand we gotta none put of us it on know there now. how to play organ like <laughs> we can't we can't do this so we had it there for weeks we had all sorts of percussion we ended up using some of it but um it was it was just all like the same amps and heads that we ended up using and then like a pile of gear that was just sat untouched in the corner yeah it's usually how that stuff goes there they, they, i guess he was hoping that you guys would get super creative and you did because again i god i can't remember what song that was but you guys definitely um took your time the set i mean sonically that record was phenomenal do you remember any tips or any like cool techniques that you guys used in the studio that you like you said i'm gonna put this in my toolbox i'm gonna i'm gonna use this in the future I remember that we did uh, we did blending of guitar tones. Like for the main guitar tone, it was two amps, and we found like the right mix between them. But I, I don't remember what those two amps were. I feel like we used the Tom DeLonge trick, where you put like a JCM nine hundred on the clean channel below a really distorted amp, and you know you find like the the nice level between them. Um, but I don't remember what the other amp was. And one thing that we did that I, I learned from was um, for leads, and I guess this is so basic, but um, you use like more of like a chimey cleaner sound to cut through. So like if you listen to Find Comfort in Yourself, the, the lead guitar that goes through that is just a cranked Supro amp yeah. um, nice. with like nothing on it. Uh, it's just nice and chimey and it cuts through those thick uh distorted rhythms uh, but i had never thought that that's how you make that, that thing sound out sound you know come out in the mix by by making it um less distorted yeah who knew yeah the articulation that comes through and now these days with like all of the multi-channel you know just kind of recording dry going through a direct box and just adding you know virtual amplification after the fact uh, being able to just comp those tracks and running three different tracks, adding any amplifiers you want afterward is, um, you know, now, now it's so easy to do back then you literally yeah. had to run splitters and multiple amps and still hit your takes, you know? Right. So uh, you talked that you talked about that 
gold top that you couldn't get your hands on being the best guitar you ever played. So let's go the other way. What was the worst crap you ever played? The stuff you had in your hands that you said, get this away from me, threw it away, whatever you did with it. What was the stuff? Amps, guitars. Yeah. So, uh, I worked with this dude named Matt when I, when I worked at easy video in Branchburg, New Jersey, and Matt had a Marauder and I thought it was Gibson looking guitar. Gibson Marauder it was blonde with a white pick guard. Uh, those epoxy covered coated pickups. I was like, wow, this thing oh, is yeah, so cool. Like a, That's right. You know, like the flying V headstock on it. And yeah. just looks like a skinny, weird, less Paul with a flying V headstock. I was like, this thing rules. Um, and I was like, I, I didn't play it. And I told Matt, I was like, if you ever want to get rid of this thing, let me know. I'll buy it from you. He sold it to me for like 125 bucks. You can't, you can't lose. So I bought it and I brought it home. I started playing on it. I was like, wow, this thing fucking sucks. Like <laughs> this just sounds like I can't even play it. Not even plugged in. Um, the, there was something weird with the action. Um, and it just felt like it felt like the guitar had like 14s on it, but the strings were just so taut. I had no idea what was wrong with it. I was like, this thing, there's something wrong with this Marauder. So I traded it in to my friend James and I got a different Marauder. <laughs> right? I got the brown Marauder from you at that point when you were a guitar center. I got the brown Marauder home and I was like, man, this thing sucks. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, it's just like, they, they look so cool and I want them to be good, but I just couldn't play it. And I ended up selling it to, uh, to Ross from the bled on tour a couple of years later. So I, I took it on tour. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it live. I'm like, maybe it's just, maybe it just doesn't sound good in my room. You know, maybe if I like plug it into like a nice loud him. Trying. You were trying. Sound check. I wanted to bond with this thing because I thought it was so cool looking, but I just couldn't. And, and I had, I had to get rid of it. You're I kind of regret getting, getting rid of it. Yeah. Fet, fetch did not work. It's, fetch it didn't, didn't work. work at all. <laughs> didn't it's work. not going to take so, off. Did you take it on tour to bond with it? Or were you going, well, if I don't bond with it, this is going to be one of those pawn shop or weird guitar shop tour stops where i decide to trade it for the first cool thing i see um no i really wanted to play it i i wanted desperately to play it and to, and to fall in love with it and it didn't do anything for me um and one day offhandedly i was just talking about my frustration with it um i think to ross and he was like i'll buy it from you i was like all right come to the show and you know tucson or wherever and he, and he came and i brought it and he and he bought it and as i brought it out from under the bus dallas from alexis on fire is like what is that what are you doing with that he's like i want to buy it right now <laughs> and i was like no I already, I already told ross i'd sell it to him he's like how much are you selling it to him for i'm like I know, 300 bucks he's like i'll give you four i was like no i can't do this i can't <laughs> i already i already told ross it's his for 300 and, and dallas just watched me hand it to ross oh, and he man. was just like no <laughs> so it wasn't a great piece of gear but you like quadrupled huh. your money on it so that's not too bad i guess i did yeah i made an extra 175 bucks on it oh that's amazing oh. so um actually dan has a dan dan's always got a good yeah thumper. so 
This is my, it's my favorite question to ask just because there's no possibility that I could ever answer this question. So I like to see other people squirm instead of me. Oh man, uh, I hope I can. <laughs> so desert Island, three things. What are they? Amp, guitar, pedal, whatever combination you want. Uh, you can get creative, but what would they, oh. what would they be? And that's it for the rest of your life. So that's it for the rest of my life. That's it so it's a marauder. A crate and a metal zone. And a metal zone. <laughs> we nailed it, Dan. That's it. I'll finally figure out a way to make those things sound good. Um, You'll have the rest of your life to do it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, guitar. It'll probably be like a like a Telecaster now. You know, um, I have a J ninety that I love, and that's that's my my current obsession uh i had it i have a jazz master too that i just got and I, I can't bond with it yet so that's staying at home that's not going to the desert island with me but the telecaster will be there um and you know i have to have some sort of an amp i would probably have a jc jc 120 mm. uh and Strong i would choice. bring i bring a red panda tensor with me okay. because if i have the rest of my life I, I I probably wouldn't even be able to figure out how to use that thing. <laughs> right there with you. Um, I mean, I just I just got rid of a count to five, and I couldn't figure it out. I'm I'm just at this point getting rid of things that I I don't understand how to use. So it's a good. Move. It would have to be something difficult, and you know it's got a looper on it, right? So I would at least have something playing at all times um, speaking yeah, of some loopers have you guys watched and i know this is sort of like timely but i think it'll live on forever have you guys been watching dave knudsen's instagram posts from the the guitar player from minus the bear he i have to crazy. i have to watch him more yeah he is nuts three dl4s on his pedal board just looping and layering anybody out there who's listening to this if you have not if you're not into minus the bear i've had people go yeah no i'm not really into those guys and then i've played them and i'm like oh but i like this i'm like this is exactly what they sound like you think you didn't like them <laughs> but you like them right. um and god watching him recreate like here's how i play you know absinthe party and it's like whoa like two hand tapping, lots of delays, reverbs, and loopers. And yeah, three samples. different loops going on. Yeah, God, different That's stutter awesome. effects that he he has programmed in there at different pitches. You know, yes, crazy. Yeah, with the har with the little harmonizer effects on them and stuff. He's actually I saw today that he was doing a, uh, you know, if you want to learn, if you want a lesson on how to like, he'll he'll teach you how to play like any botch or or minus the bear tunes. So oh, can he get was... me to that level first and then teach me how to play, play those yeah, tunes? Yeah, no, he's, he's going to go, dude, you, you forget <laughs> it. How about we just talk for a half hour? Here, here's an A chord. <laughs> <laughs> so a little aside, one of the uh, early on when they first started playing, like the first time I saw them, I think it was for Highly Refined Pirates, uh, my all-time favorite thing about them was... They're playing one of the tunes, it's real melodic, tapping, but it wasn't not, it's not, it wasn't a heavy tune. And 
visually, he still was acting like he was in botch. He looked like he was playing in botch, but everything that was coming out of that band did not sound like botch. And it was one of the greatest things I've seen in my life. He was just rocking as if he was playing botch tunes, playing like the highly refined pirate stuff. And I, it was just mind blowing, mind blowing. It's awesome. That's wild. I love watching. I don't know how you learn to play like that. Yeah. That's uh, it's called talent. It's, it's something What's that, that I've, What's that? I've been chasing it for years. Um, so I hear you are now playing bass. I am playing bass now. Yes. Yeah. I started playing bass, uh, about six months ago. Um, I had a bass, but, uh, now I have another bass that I like more and, uh, a little yeah, more, a little more detail. Pretty rad dudes. <laughs> okay. Um, about the bass or the band. Both. So the bass, um, I was, you know, during the uh, early days of COVID, there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of people coming out of the woodwork recording at home and, you know, looking to collaborate. Uh, my friend Christian had a project called Jersey Interchange where we did a track people... for it too. Oh, you did? Yeah. What, what track did you do? Uh, we did a vision song with, uh, it's, Alf Bartone singing, me and the other guitar player from Nine Lives, and then the guys from Jades of Bart. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That yeah, rules. Yeah, Alf did a couple songs. Yeah. Um, wow, nice. Yeah, so you did the same thing. Chris would send everyone a song, say, hey, go record this and send it back. Um, and I wanted to play bass as well, so I borrowed a bass from John Castaldo mm. uh, to do a big wig song, actually. Shout out to John. Um, and I gave it back. And I was like, you know, I should really have one of these things. So I just kept scouring Facebook Marketplace. And I found one. Uh, some dude was selling for 200 bucks. It was like a parts base. But it had a quarter pounder in it. Mm. And I was like, that's really that's really what matters. So I bought, I bought that guitar from him. Or I brought that bass from him. And um, brought it home, started messing with it. Realized I don't like the way that P basses play. I just can't play them well. So I just got to, yeah, I can't hand, do it. I got small hands. Thrown small hands. They don't, they don't work for my, my weak little guitar hands, my Les Paul hands. So, <laughs> um, so I got an Aerodyne. I have an Aerodyne jazz bass now. The rips. Oh, they're great. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. They're great basses. Yeah. Much thinner, much thinner neck, way faster. I, good, I have good for the back. Big too. Hands. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what else is good for the back? A Steinberger. I'm, I'm going to switch <laughs> yeah. that pretty soon. I bet. I bet. <laughs> I'm too old for these things. Too heavy. That's cool. Did you, uh, did you take a while to settle on a jazz bass or did you try other stuff in the interim? Did you just go from P bass uh, to jazz? No, I tried a couple of things. I went to the guitar center and played, uh, played a bunch of different guitars. Um, I think I played, um, wow. What's it was like lime green with like a really nice roasted neck. Oh, it's like um, a, was it one of the Ernie Balls? I think it was a Charvel, actually. I was going to say Charvel like or the like Jackson. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that played pretty pretty nicely, but um, out of the seven or eight bases I played that day, the Aerodyne was just the it was just the, the nicest. I like the the neck too. It feels like unfinished. Yeah, you know, Satin and finished. that uh, I don't I don't like a big satin finish i don't like a you know a really plasticky finish on, on a neck so 
Yeah. So that felt really nice. Hence why you sanded down the necks of a lot of your guitars. Yeah, only only one, but I did it twice. Yeah, I guess I did it to both Explorers, and it happened naturally with the 91 Les Paul. That just has no finish anymore. Yeah, I've got that... um that evh has that has a roasted neck and no finish on the on the on the neck it's just, yeah it's awesome it just feels like home right it feels yeah. like a worn in instrument that's what i did with that black les paul too just yeah. i had so many worn spots that i just decided i took the whole thing down it's just sanded and stained when it gets to a certain point you can just take your pick and just rub it on the, on the paint <laughs> on the back and it just flakes right off it's coming back to the, the thing about my corrosive sweat. Um, that'll, that'll do wonders on the finish of your guitar. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the new band. So this is this is kind of like a, a breaking, you know, breaking news type of thing. You've got some pretty rad dudes in it. What's it like? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. Uh, it's a lot of fun playing bass with these guys. Um, it's uh, myself, Jay Shevchuk. Um, Nick Ramondelli and Benny Horowitz, and uh, what a crew. we're actually going in to start shit. demoing. It's a good crew, like all all dudes that I knew somewhat in the '90s, and uh, they're all incredible musicians. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's been really fun playing with them. I've never played bass in a band. Not I mean not since Penitentiary. <laughs> so, um, but I didn't have uh, I didn't have a drummer like Ben. It was, it was, you know, penitentiary. We went hard. That's hard. Yeah. That's awesome. So Benny, Nick Bound, that's a good crew. So what kind of music are you guys playing? Uh, I don't really know. I don't really know what to, you know, how to describe it. Um, I don't know. I'm always the worst at this question. But uh, I will let you off. It's though. music I it's music I would like to listen to, and I think you that's kind of like, what we're doing at this age, right? We're we're just going. You know what? F it. We're gonna play what we want to hear. If somebody else likes it, great. If not, whatever. It's not like I'm trying to get signed. You know, at almost fifty years old or however old some people in this room yeah, are. early forties. Dan, uh, Dan early closer 40s. to fifty than I am. I have like two months left. <laughs> nice. You know how to always remember Dan's birthday? It's it's the when song it? song title of a VOD song. Yeah. Seven thirteen. Seven thirteen. Oh, okay. Okay. You're one day before my brother. My brother is seven fourteen. And I'm two days. I'll never before forget you. now, Dan. See that? You're December nineteenth. I'm two days before you. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. Look and Samantha that. Maloney is like a week before us. Mm. Trying to re- trying to remember the exact day, but I always know it's like a week before my birthday. Anyway, um, dude, this was a blast. It was good catching up with you. Love talking here. Um, psyched to have you on. Psyched for this new band. And, and it, what, it, here is there a name? Do you guys have a name yet, or you're just uh? I think we have a name, but I don't think that we're gotcha. totally no sure worries. about it yet. I figured yeah. I'd ask so we could throw it out there. You know what? Picking oh, a name, you. picking a name as a teenager or like you know, penitentiary, right? There was probably Bad not a whole lot of you weren't laboring over it for months in a text exchange and like then no. having to do searches <laughs> of the internet and does somebody already have the band camp? That shit didn't exist back then. 
That's right. We were just trying to figure out how to spell it. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a hard one to spell. Well, the trick is, if you name your band and the name already exists, you just do two S's and one R instead of one S and two R's, and then you're fine. Or put an NJ after it. The NJ. There you go. <laughs> and then you're good. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, anything else you want to plug? Yeah, Midtown, I think, is uh, is going to be pretty active for the first time in probably 10 years, somewhere close to that. Yeah, I mean, we broke up in 2005 did a reunion in 2014 and haven't done anything since. So this is the most that we've been active in 17 years. Um, wow. we're playing a bunch of shows this year. We're going out with my chemical romance. We're playing riot fest, playing furnace fest. Oh, I'll a be couple there. headliners at home. I'll be riot furnace fest. fest, riot fest, riot fest. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'll let you know. Nice. We'll be there the whole time. So you're going to get I'll to see hello. sunny day real estate twice. I, I think I'm going to miss them both times. I think oh. we're playing opposing days, which is about my, I'm also going to miss Pedro the Lion at Furnace mm. Fest, which I'm really upset about. I love Pedro the Lion. But I'll get to hang out with Ice Cube at Riot Fest. Oh, so Nice consolation. That's, that's pretty cool. But then at the end of the year, after the Starland shows, we have a show in Long Island at Mulcahy's, and then we have a show at the Palladium in Worcester, and that's going to be it. Nah, so. psyched. I will be in uh, in Worcester. I will definitely see you there. You know, the funny thing is, it might be the last time I saw you was 2014 when you guys did the outdoor shows in Asbury Park. And I was at Dan's house that afternoon. Actually, I had dinner at Dan's house. And then I, I met my brother over at that to see you guys play that night. Nice. So, might have been, been the last time I was at Dan's house. No, it couldn't have been. I don't remember. Yeah. These these past 20 years, six, 27 months just blanked everything else out anyway. Yeah. No <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you very much. Tonight, hopefully, uh, some of the uh, the NJ scene guys get a kick out of the, the memory lane that we just strolled down and uh, can't wait to see you in a, in a couple of short few months, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm psyched to see you. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. <laughs> awesome you're the guy long time listener that's first me. time caller long time if you first time up a patreon i'll be a patron that's what i do there we go all right thanks all right, again thanks, take care thanks